3: Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to Wood Talk, for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who, if combined, would make one hell of a woodworker. Mark, Matt, and Shannon.
1: All right, it is episode 134 for May 29th, 2013. On today's show, we're talking about the handworks event in Iowa, locking miter joints, quality dividers, locating an air filter in your shop, using OSB, dealing with large wet slabs, and alternatives to weighing down your boards when stickering and stacking. But before we get to that, let's hear a word from our sponsors. Today's show is supported by Festool helping woodworkers get better results in less time and with less mess to clean up afterwards. Visit them online at festalusa.com. And by SawStop. SawStop is North America's number one cabinet saw and the world's safest table saw. Visit sawstop.com slash 175 to learn more about the professional cabinet saw model that Matt chose for his basement workshop. Then click on find a dealer to see the saw in action near you. Very nice. Now, hey, I just want to give a little warning. I'm a little bit under the weather today, feeling feverish, runny nose, sore throat, all that good stuff. So we're going. In other be-
0: words, it's our opportunity to really mess with Mark and he won't even know. I was, I was explaining
1: to the guys that when I'm sick, I am not fast, like in my response time and conversational response time. So it's like it just takes longer to sink into my brain and longer for, for something to come out of my mouth. So <laughs> I'll do my best to keep up, but I think I'm going to lean on you guys pretty heavily for the rest of the show.
0: And like I mentioned before, us. it's it's totally okay for you to come back and insert wittiness in the comments once it's actually posted. Well, you know but what you need to get that posted before you pass out tonight, okay? Well,
1: yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> um, I do have the I do the editing, right? So I could just go back in and just re-record jokes and insert them <laughs> in where I think it'll be funny.
0: There you go. That sounds perfect. I'll even record a little <laughs> extra chortleness so you can put it in there, layer it in so that it sounds like it's kind of genuine. I like
1: it. I like it. I have enough recordings of you chortling, so I could just throw those in. There. I was gonna say, <laughs> do we really need more? No, we got plenty of those. Recordings?
0: <laughs> what this party needs is some more chortle.
1: <laughs> that'd do, that'd do. Um we're gonna it's
2: like a, a nine CD set, of chortles.
1: <laughs> that would be great. Um all right, so let's uh we're gonna skip what's on the bench, cause not a not a whole lot going on there, we're gonna jump right into the news. And we wanted to talk a little bit about an event that took place recently. We mentioned it at least once previously on the show, but we didn't really go into any depth on it. So what we realized was this thing had happened, and we wanted to find out what people thought about it. So it's the Handworks event that took place in Iowa. And it was just kind of an interesting thing. So you guys sent out some emails, and and people wrote you some information about what they thought of the event and what was actually there. So I don't know who wants to take control of this one, but go for it.
0: You take uh, guess, it, uh,
1: Jana.
2: Can... You've
0: done quite a bit of the editing on this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the slash and burn of the uh, responses. <laughs> Thank you to everybody who emailed in responses. Thank you to those of you that had multiple chapters in your responses. Um, I have pared them down significantly because, frankly, uh, a lot of you said the same thing. And it sounded like it was an awesome show. Um, nothing but, like, incredible, incredible responses. Um, one of the things, anybody who has ever attended any of the Lee Nielsen hand tool events, I think um, Justin wrote in and kind of encapsulated it well, basically said that it's like a much larger extended version of a Lee Nielsen hand tool event with uh, a heck of a lot more tool makers involved. Hmm. So, you know, if you go to one of those, you know, it's, it's kind of set in, in, a, in a lumber yard type location. In this instance, it was set in, a, in an old barn in Amana. Iowa, uh, where they make the um, washer and dryers, you know, nice or refrigerators or something. So in other words, like it was something and for the, the wives
0: to do. Oh, yeah. that's oh, boy. not that's, where you uh, want to go. Oh, wait, did,
1: did I say that? <laughs> did I actually come out of my mouth? Yes, it did. This isn't wow. water. What is this? <laughs> Made Speaking of, of editing done later.
2: <laughs> so uh, there was, you know, I, I I don't know a lot of the backstory on this. I just kind of suddenly out of nowhere there was this website that said handworks was happening
1: mm-hmm. in
2: in Iowa. So, um I am kind of curious to to hear how this happened. What what's the origin story? You know, Hollywood's really into that origin story thing. So, we are too. So, if someone wants to come forward and tell us how this actually came into being, I would love to hear that. Um anyone out there who happens to be listening, but in the meantime, um we've got some some good feedback on it. Um The folks at BenchCrafted actually have a couple of blog posts that are just lots and lots of pictures. So for those of you who don't like to read and just look at pretty pictures, (laughs) um, definitely worth going to to benchcrafted.blogspot.com. There's some good pictures there. Um, Chris Bagby over, uh, I guess, the the patriarch of Highland Woodworking – I uh, had put up a blog post as well. There's some cool photos there. And I wanted to read something that Jeff Morton sent in. Um, he was the first person to get me something, so I kept more of his his novel than anybody else. Um, he said, I believe Handworks 2013 was a great success. I spoke with many vendors like Tools for Working Wood, Lost Art Press, Scott Meek Hand Planes, Lee Nielsen, Lee Valley, Blue Spruce, New Concepts, Benchcrafted, Breeze Planes, Bonts, Works and many, many others. And that many, many others thing, that's my edit because it went on for a while. <laughs> there were a lot of toolmakers there. Um, the consensus was that they all left with much less merchandise when they arrived. One post on WoodNet actually noted seeing the Amana Fire Department standing around a smoldering pile of credit cards that spontaneously combusted from overuse. So <laughs> this this to me sounds like the marketplace at woodworking in America. Just a lot of really, really high-quality toolmakers crammed into one place that's kind of a recipe for disaster when it comes to my bank account or my marital relations. Um, the Let's see, Saturday, this was a Friday... Saturday and Sunday event, I think. Or maybe it was just Saturday and Sunday. Whatever. Saturday started with a bang, uh, or rather several claps of thunder. This didn't stop the masses from lining up at the door by 9 a.m. to be let in for a 10 a.m. presentation entitled Virtuoso, the Tool Chest of Henry O. Studley. By 9.30... The crowd had very well, fairly well filled in the barn, which was estimated to hold around 200 people. Wow. Christopher Schwartz started by giving a talk about tool chests, including build details from the anarchist tool chest. As usual, his presentation was laced with dry humor, including talking about John the Tool Horse, Sindler's tool chest, with a painting of the seven tarts inside the top of uh, the, the lid. This prompted a little boy next to my brother-in-law to ask his father, what's a tart? unfortunately we didn't hear the answer nor could we see the father's reddened face as he tried to stumble out a reply so you know little little risque a little raunchy that's always good for a tool show um let's see around 10 a.m the main event started and it lasted for over an hour it was much more than a chronicling of the disassembly photographing and reassembling of the Studley tool chest it was an up-to-the-minute history Don Williams did a masterful, sometimes humorous job of the late Studley, augmented by contributions from Chris Schwartz, and outstanding photographs from Narayan Nayar. Sorry, I... Butchered your name, I'm sure, um, which by the way ha- has been dubbed by Jamil Abrams. Apparently, Narion is dubbed as the Ansel Adams of woodworking. Hmm. So right. he, t- he takes some pretty pictures, in other words. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, the, the last thing Jeff had to say uh, was another great thing about the event was the Amana Colonies. This is a, like a historical site nearby. Their slogan is the handcrafted escape, which perfectly fits handworks. We visited the Amana Furniture Company and were able to tour their production facility and see their giant furniture, or giant, great furniture pieces. <laughs> giant furniture pieces. We make them big <laughs> here in the plains. <laughs> uh, we will see their great furniture pieces in various stages of build. Um, I hope that they consider having handworks 2014. Given what I saw and heard, it could happen. So there you go, organizers, whomever you are. Um, here's one person that wants it to happen again. Um, real, let's see, blow through some of these Jay Cox said the show was incredible. I'm a hybrid woodworker, but I walked out of there with $545 worth of hand tools. Oops. Yikes. So so he got one
1: hand plane. (laughs) So he got one hand plane from, uh, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: that's a lot of money. That's, that's for you. That'll get you a nice Ron Bree smoother. And then maybe, uh, a down payment on an adjustable hammer.
2: There you go. Buy a Breeze Smoother for $545?
0: Uh, <laughs> maybe the show one that didn't want to take <laughs> that back. That might be a down payment on a Breeze That's smoother. maybe half, right? <laughs> That's pretty close. It's a little bit more than I think what I paid for the kit. So, yes.
2: <laughs> there you go. Let's see. Jay says the, the layout and flow of the show was nice, which was actually something I was interested in because it happened in a barn. You know, so I'm thinking, mm-hmm. how big could it be? Veritas and Lee Nielsen bookended the barn. The only awkward part of Lee Nielsen's display was that it was on a raised stage area with one wobbly stair
0: for access. Um, That's how they held back the uh, the onslaught. The throng.
2: Right. Uh, Let's see. Uh, There were plenty of wood plane makers. Lost Art Press had a spot, and Benchcraft had a decent display. There was an area with boxes and boxes of files and RAS. That's probably Slav's tool shed, I think. Um, it looked like a flea market, which sort of seemed to be a class or two below the show, which that brings up another point. Hmm. You bring this many like boutique makers together, you know, that's some, that's some like lofty company that you're sitting in. So if you show up with a bunch of used tools. You feel like, you know, scum. Uh, let's see. The only negative I could see was at times there was a lack of courtesy between attendees. I personally was banged into and cut off more times than I care to count. I'd just like to encourage my fellow woodworkers to look out a little more for each other.
1: Well, they are galoots. Come on.
2: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. come on. They're dragging their knuckles, right? Exactly. Yeah. It they sounds like grunt. to me, I mean, if they had like a line out the door and the place holds 200 people, it sounds like they were probably pushing the limit. I mean, you are in a barn. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Um. One interesting thing, a couple of shows ago we talked about, uh, or I talked about Bontz Sawworks and actually heard from Ron Bontz who did exhibit at Handworks. And he had a couple of different things he said. He talked to more people than he can possibly remember the names. Um, I I honestly talked more in those couple of days than I would normally talk in six months. (laughs) Um, Even the bed and breakfast my wife and I stayed at was full of friendly, inviting people. In short, this was an event even a semi-reclusive person like myself could feel comfortable sitting around the breakfast table, chatting with others about anything from saws to tools to family. Just excellent. Hope the organizers will see fit to do this again. I think the bed and breakfast atmosphere is what really made it for me as well. So again, that sounds a little bit like, you know, why we go to woodworking in America. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, oh yeah, the classes are cool and all that stuff, but you get to like hang out with friends. You just get to talk woodworking and you get to try a bunch of tools. So this is, this is kind of exciting to me. It sounds Mm -hmm. like, you know, while I don't think anything's replacing woodworking in America, this just, just yet another venue that, provides another opportunity for people to get to this. So The location
1: location is surprising, though, isn't it? I mean, it sounds like a cool location. Um, Yeah. But it seems like one that might be a little bit difficult for a lot of people to access. But they clearly had no problem packing people in for that.
2: Well, um, let's see. I think it was Justin who he drove down from Chicago, I think. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it was Jay. Um, So I don't know. I mean, it's kind of right there in the big middle of the country. So I guess it's – relatively driving distance to a lot of stuff. But I mean I guess that's the same as Cincinnati though for Woodworking America.
1: Yeah, yeah I guess so. Maybe it's just I'm not familiar with the area. But yeah it does sound like one of the things that we love I don't know sometimes we sort of sheepishly admit that one of our favorite things about WIA is the show floor. Um yeah. you know, the the classes are always great, but it's it's really the camaraderie and hanging out and, and looking at new tools and getting some hands on time with tools you've only seen online. This is a very concentrated version of that, it seems. Yeah. Um, so that's wow. Yeah. Sounds like a we, blast.
0: You know, one thing that this reminds me of is uh there's always that Midwestern tool collectors like get together. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh coming up from an event once, we actually stayed at a hotel pure coincidence that there was a Midwestern tool collection collectors event happening and it was the funniest thing ever because the floor we were on a whole bunch of the collectors were there and the the hotel doors it looked like a fraternity party they were propped open and people were going in and out of them and exchanging hand tools and buying hand tools and all this other stuff and that's what this kind of also reminds me of is a little bit of that too because when you see the pictures of it and the descriptions of it this sounds like one of those marketplaces but obviously with well in certain situations newer tools I'm sure there's the the kind of flea market thing that Justin – or not Justin, but uh, that Jay described there a little mm-hmm.
2: bit. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it just it sounded like looking at the pictures, looking at a little bit of the the Twitter stream that was going on this weekend, it just sounded like people had a lot of fun. So yeah, it's exciting to me because, you know, I think the biggest thing, especially with these higher-end boutique, whatever you want to call them, makers, I don't think you can truly understand – you get a lot of "Wow, that's expensive, but until you use it, then you're like, "Oh, okay, right. <laughs> now I know why it costs that much." Well, you know? and you and, see
1: that what they what we put into every project that we do, that level of care and attention, is what they put into the tools that they make. and, yeah, and you yeah. have that once you see that appreciation, you can understand that. You still may not want to spend the money, but you can at least appreciate why right. someone would.
2: Right Well, and I think we've, we've had people say this before, but it's like the woodworking community as a whole, manufacturers, woodworkers, everything, they're all very kind of down-to-earth, very approachable people. So, I mean, this was like a celebrity fest. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. the, you had the names in woodworking were there. And well, Matt wasn't everybody, there. Well, that's true. Matt wasn't there, so which is – No, you know, that's probably. usually
0: when they're like, you know, everybody, shh. I think well, it's the that,
2: that's why no lampshades <laughs> ended up on heads because Matt wasn't there. But everybody wrote in who said, you know, I talked to, you know, I talked to Dave Jeske, I talked to 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 Ron Breeze, I talked to Chris Schwartz, I met Megan Fitzpatrick. You know, they were so excited about the fact that they got to meet and talk to all these people, and it was like just talking to any average Joe, which I think is, you know, something to be proud of in our community that even our even our celebrities are not pompous and
1: well, unapproachable. Just, just wait till Megan is at the 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 head for a, a while, and that's true. Then she's going to have a big head on her. I, do, I
0: have noticed that it now takes her over 24 hours to respond to my emails. Miss so Attitude. That's right there. You can see it's the fall. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> All right. Uh, you hey, know, speaking of I,
2: woodworking in America, I just mm-hmm. found a, a pen from the conference resort there that my wife must have stolen. Oh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Hey, uh, one thing I want to mention is with that Chris Bagby, the, uh, again, Highland Woodworking blog, one thing he did mention in here is – Uh, someone said they plan to repeat this at least every two years, which seems kind of like a good plan as far as he's concerned. And maybe in some situation that would help to build up kind of the, you know, a a lot of the, um, the interest in it. Because I know we've talked before about how certain events, it's nice to go to them year after year, but at some point you have to kind of step away from it a little bit. Mm, And I wonder if doing like an every other year thing might help to keep that interest alive and keep it kind of the spark rolling on it. So whether that actually happens or not is another thing, but that would be kind of interesting. If that's the case, that means 2015. So see, Madison will have been driving for a year, so I've got a driver that won't yell at me. So (laughs) okay, we're good.
1: Right. Cool. All right. Is there any other stuff we need to read from that or we're done? Uh, I think we're good. Okay, cool. Let's move into around the web. Uh, Let's see. Matt, you got a link there first.
0: Yeah, this one came in from Spencer, and I thought this was – you know, we always see these recycled, repurposed blogs and kind of neat ideas that come up. The only ones I really hate are when they're like, hey, look, we have this really cool saw. Let's paint a picture on it and put it on the wall. That's just disturbing, which actually my wife has a friend who just trashed like three or four decent-looking hand saws. Mm. I saw the before, and then I saw the after, and then I told her I was never <laughs> going to talk to her again. Uh, but anyway, so Spencer sent this in. It's a link to a repurposed piano. And basically, in the the individual that wrote this blog, more or less kind of took this piano, took it apart, and created it into a bit of a pseudo workbench with a little area that you can uh, hang your tools and uh, well, I don't think I'm gonna have it in my shop. It's kind of a neat conversation piece.
1: It's definitely cool. Is it still playable yeah. though? That's what I want to know.,
0: uh, it looks like he tore out all the wires, but maybe he's using the wires for something else. like I don't know.
1: Hmm. It's cool. <laughs> it's definitely cool looking. neat idea. right on. Um, we have
2: mentioned Tom Buell's name on the show many times before. Oh yeah. And, um, I came across this and I was just floored on, um, the Lost Art Press blog right now. There is a, I believe it's a chalk drawing Mm -hmm. that's basically a recreation of the cover of that book, Grandpa's Workshop that Lost Art Press has re-released, I guess. And Tom Buell actually drew this and it was in a like sidewalk art. Competition in Santa Barbara. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I read this early this morning, so I honestly don't remember if he won anything for it or if he just did it, but it's just awesome. I had no idea that Tom had that kind of talent. He does. Other than, you know, his woodworking, which is amazing.
1: So we did a post back in 2010 uh, as a project on our website, and it's street painting and a Krenov tribute that he did uh, a couple years ago. So this is a yearly event that happens in Santa Barbara where they just get together and Put all kinds of stuff, you know, using chalk. They make all these beautiful things on the ground, and uh, Tom always does something with a the woodworking theme. So he's got actually, it looks like the cover of the Impractical Cabinet Maker from uh, Krenov, and then now he's got this 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 other thing that he did this year. So this, I'll put the link in the show notes for our post on that as well. But he does some amazing stuff, not just in wood, but apparently on the ground too. Wow. That's
2: very cool. Yeah, that is very cool.
1: Awesome stuff. Well done, Tom.
2: I can say that I've sold wood to him.
1: Oh, that's right, for his uh, for his Krenov uh, cabinet, right? I've never, I haven't actually
2: met the guy, so all I can say is that I've sold him wood. That's, mm,
1: there you go. Alright, we've got one more link here from Buxley. Anyone who knows uh, the Frog Pants uh, group of people, you probably know Buxley. He sent us a link of wood sculptures that are pretty unbelievable. And you guys have seen when, when these guys take wood and sort of make it look like cloth or some sort of fabric. Yeah. Uh, this is taking that to a whole new level. Um, you've just got to see this. Uh, it just everything looks like it's silk, um, and and to be able to create that in wood is just kind of mind blowing. So yeah, really next level stuff. It's pretty amazing. So uh, wow. There's there's oh even one gosh. where like he's got the that paintbrush. There's a paintbrush in mid stroke, and the the stuff that it's painting, like the paint, is actually made from wood, and the paint the paintbrush is like frozen in mid air. It's amazing.
0: I, I I like number two. <laughs> there you go.
1: All right, so it's it's really awesome
0: stuff. Check that out. A lot of good looks there. It's crazy cuz like it looks like yeah, like you said it's silk like covering something and you mm-hmm. can just make out the image on It's crazy it's the wild. image underneath it. What I want to know, I want to see the
1: pictures of the process. I want to see how this stuff is made. Yeah. How is this possible? Right? It just doesn't <laughs> like and if it is possible, it seems like it should because it's made of wood, it will probably like break in a couple of weeks or you know, something is going to destroy it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Especially when you get that thin. It's absolutely stunning. I am right. so
0: not a woodworker. Show's over.
1: I'm <laughs> <you go>. done. <laughs> Throw in the towel.
2: I can do nothing else. This we, are, is,
1: we are not worthy.
2: Tom Eckert Wood Sculptures has ruined me. There you go. <laughs> All right.
1: So let's move into the kickback. That's where you guys give us some uh, feedback on previous shows or things you heard in old shows. So Matt, you want to jump into that?
0: Yeah. The first one we have here is from John. And John says, I just wrapped up listening to episode 138. The guy that was asking about an alternative to pressure treated could also look at say locust it will actually last longer in contact with the ground than pressure treated i'm about to have a bunch of it sawn up i plan on building a building using it to build a bench top and some cabinet tops for my shop if i can get enough of it may may use it uh, to replace my deck boards with it and now he's talking about the locust tree and not the animals that come out every like so many years right
2: yeah this year okay
0: it, awesome. yeah so locust tree that that's that's kind of like a black color one too, isn't it? That's Maybe I'm thinking of Black Locust.
2: Well, it's called Black Locust. It's ridiculously okay. hard, very rot resistant. And where are these people getting it in quantity? That's what I want to know. <laughs> um, I mean, it's not really a commercially available product. There are some people that market it as a decking product, but there's like maybe four companies in the whole country that do that. So mm. great idea. I just don't know how available it is.
1: Cool.
0: All right, sweet. And uh, we have another <laughs> pardon, one here. Pardon
2: me, John, while I just crap all over your
0: kickback. <laughs> no, it's what it turns out is John has the uh, amount that's going to be uh, cut up this year, and that's all there will be. Nice. <laughs> all, <laughs> all right, person. let's see. Uh, we have another one here from Tim in Ottawa. Hey, I wonder if Tim in Ottawa knows Mike in L.A. Um, <laughs> he, says, might. he might. Hey, guys. I think it is a great time to be a hobbyist woodworker. There are so many great resources for learning both free and paid. We have this podcast, Mark Field, Matt, and Shannon site, and a ton of others. We have Charles Neal's master class and his new finishing class. We have tons of books and specialized publishers such as Taunton Press and Chris Schwarz's Lost Press. We have positive leaps in safety from his, from the awareness and education of Safety Day to accessories such as the gripper and tools such as the saw stop. There are plenty of machinery companies competing to get us... Great machines at low prices, everything from grizzly to hammer with a range in between. Hand tools are doing great with big companies such as Lee Nielsen and Veritas, giving us a steady stream of new products and lots of smaller companies giving great niche products. Niche. We have wood shows and amazing seminars or magazine seminars. Most cities still have community colleges teaching woodworking, and for us hobbyists looking for specialized education, there are schools such as Rosewood and William Ng Woodworking School, and there are tons of discussion forums such as Sawmill Creek, Wood Talk, and countless others. This sounds almost like um, the opening for a chapter all about woodworking. <laughs>
3: uh,
0: there's uh, Lumberjacks, which is a world on its own, and Jim's just wondering, how do you guys feel? Is, is this a great time to be in woodworking? Um, personally, myself, I think it is because I'm alive. So it works out fantastic for me. I'm worse. sure <laughs> if this had been earlier, say in the 1900s or the 1800s, I probably would have think that was a pretty good time too, because the tools then were fancy new. Hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, I have to agree. Given the resources and the availability of things now, I I, I think this is definitely a renaissance period. Like I, I don't want to say like unlike any other time, but uh, as far as I know. This is a pretty good time. Well,
1: for for those who aren't intimidated by too much information and who could parse it out and make sense of it, I think it's a great time. I mm. think for folks who want a little bit more of a guided approach through the world of woodworking might be might have trouble with it because there is so much information and there are, you know, varying opinions, but ultimately it's it's how do you make sense of this um absolute flood of information that's available out there? Um,
0: this could be the age of uh, paralysis by analysis totally. might actually be a better description of it.
1: For a lot of people, I think it is. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well,
2: I mean, I think all three of us have probably been through that at one point or another. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. You God know? Yes. I mean, there's there's, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff out there. All I can say to this is take that, knitters.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you ain't got knitters. nothing on us. Well, and and there is a little bit, you know, I guess when you talk to certain people in the industry, there is a little bit of a doom and gloom kind of feeling about woodworking and that because there's not the programs and schools are kind of going away um, that you hear it said that they're losing like woodworkers are dying faster than newer ones are coming into the fold um, I don't know where they get their statistics so I can't verify that that's even true but that's what you hear all the time and it kind of makes you feel like well where's this going the craft is going to get lost but but when you read something like this it you walk away with a little bit more of an optimistic um, you know perspective.
2: Yeah, Yeah, I question that too because, I mean, I think the the three of us probably see this more because we're in kind of the new media range. But, I mean, I know a hell of a lot of woodworkers that are in their 30s. Um, I know quite a few of them in their 20s. -hmm. So, you know, what what percentage of the total market segment is that? I don't really know. But, you know, I, I just I have to believe that there are new people coming into this. When I look at it, when I look at, you know, my own enrollment in the hand tool school, when I just – the emails that I get, the number of times I get emails from 17-year-olds who are interested in woodworking. um, I don't know. I'm very optimistic about it. Yeah. Um, So – uh, and that was actually one of the comments I got from Ron Bonds about handworks is how exciting it was to see not only a bunch of young people there, um, but how many young tool makers there were. Right. So not only people just getting into the craft, but people who are pretty well along to the point where they're making these high quality tools in their, you know, 40s and late 30s. Right. So to me, that's pretty indicative of the demographic.
0: Mm-hmm. It, part of me wonders, you know, kind of. I'm sure I'm going to get in trouble for this one perhaps where a lot of this grumbling is coming from like oh woe is us the the, the end of the world is coming we're all dying off and all this other all this other stuff that we're hearing like you said we, the three of us are definitely in the, the middle of the new media and how things are going because whenever t- every time I hear how bad woodworking is and that it's about to die off and stuff I keep turning around and going where. I don't see it because – What are you looking at? Yeah, exactly. What, what, maybe there's something on your glasses. Maybe it's just completely caked in sawdust. I think maybe part of the issue is that the people who are saying this the most, the older generation, is just so not used to what we're doing and it is changing so rapidly and they are so set in their ways that as far as they're concerned, it is the end of the world. And for the rest of us, it's like, oh, this is a really cool beginning.
1: Well I mean it just depends on your perspective and where you spend your time. If uh if you work for a no, magazine, we're right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you if you work for a magazine, let's say, and you're looking at your subscriber numbers and maybe those are going down and you're not getting new subscribers and you're struggling with making a presence online to keep you know sort of making up for what you're losing, mm-hmm. then it does look like the the sky is falling. If if you run a local woodworkers guild, that doesn't even try to, to pull people in online, uh, but you're just doing this local thing and all you do is make toys every weekend. If you look at that, you might see that same sort of thing where there's no new blood coming in. But if you spend time on on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, YouTube, you look at hey, pretty much any place where we're hanging out, it really is the opposite. But is it because we're looking at a smaller group of pe- people that it almost seems like it's always growing just because, It's a smaller subset, you know what I mean? Like, so to us, it seems like we're always growing, but our numbers are still much lower than they are on the folks who've been printing magazines for thirty years. Right, Right. a
2: thousand percent increase from ten. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a much much.
1: exactly. It looks like great growth to us, but because we have so much growth potential, uh, we still may there still may be a net loss. We're just never going to see it, or at least not see it for a long time.
0: Yeah, there's something to say about that. But I I still yeah, to me, it all comes down to the perspective. I still think that there are plenty of people out there that just they're so set in their ways that Mm -hmm. they will never see, you know, what's essentially in front of them. I have no doubt that the numbers are going down. I mean, that's it's inevitable look at the, the our, our parents' generation, the baby boom generation kind of all starting to retire and move on and die off. I hope that's not too bad to say that, but it's true. And uh, so obviously there is going to suddenly be a, a huge number of people that are no longer around doing this. But I just I don't really go with the doomsayers saying that it's it's all over. Well frankly,
1: even if it does if even if it does diminish a little bit over time, as mm-hmm. long as this stuff is still there and there are still people who are passing this stuff on to the to future generations who are interested in it. I mean obviously the way things go, woodworking and building furniture by hand in terms of pure utilitarian needs, it's not really a need anymore. Um right. there are other things that can do those jobs, but it's part of our heritage, it's part of our culture, it's something that needs to be kept alive and you don't necessarily need, you know, 50% of the people, you know, people out there doing this as a hobby to, to get that to happen. You can have a very small niche thing, but as long as it's alive and well within that niche, I don't know that it's anything to be worried about.
0: Right. And And, on top of it, I mean, when it comes to the information wise, we probably have way more information now and we're discovering it and actually sharing it, Mm. perhaps, than we did, say, even like, you know, 20 years ago.
1: Yeah. We're capturing the knowledge from people who normally would just die and not do anything to pass it on other than the people who had the good fortune of working with them. Um, Some of these people are now going online and actually putting it in a format that it can be shared for future generations.
2: Yeah. And it doesn't go away. I hate to tell you that, Matt.
0: Starting some of those pictures you've posted. They, they don't ever go away. <laughs> Tell me about hey, it. I'm not the one laying on a bed with a blonde wig. <laughs> this is true, what? Mark.
1: That never happened. What? Well, you know,
3: another thing that, that
2: we, we should talk about is I do think that there was a, a gap, our generation, our parents that, and, and there's certainly exceptions to this, but our parents didn't, you know, pass along some of the stuff that, their parents did, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the baby boomer generation. I mean, let's face it. This was the advent of the two, you know, the working mom and working dad, you know? Um, and, and there wasn't really that, that passing along of knowledge in such a large scale as there were several generations ago. So I, I think when you look at that, it's like, well, you know, it was left up to woodshop and school to be able to teach it because my, my dad never really, shared that with me or whatever, or his dad maybe didn't. Now I think we as a culture share everything to mm-hmm. a fault. Probably, yeah. you yes. know, if I see one more Instagram picture of the omelet I ate for breakfast, I'm going to scream, but hopefully that, what that's translating to. And, you know, I'm you guys as fathers, you can speak to this. I'm not going to try to speak to this, but you know, you want to Mark. I've seen enough pictures of Mateo in your shop. <laughs> yeah. If he picks it up, great. Um, If not, no big deal. But he's bound to pick up something. Yeah, You know, for sure. And I think that desire to share that makes us post things on Twitter and Facebook and write our blogs inevitably ends up in your, shall we call it, your parenting style. Mm -hmm. And without fail, every woodworker I know that has kids is always, you know, how do I get my kids into the shop? Or I'm trying to involve my kids in the shop. And it's always that same attitude of, you know, if they hate it, cool. But I'm going to at least try to involve them. And I think that's happening more than it did a couple generations ago. Mm. So it's
1: all our parents' fault. (laughs) Blame your parents when in doubt.
0: Well, you know, they they are the me generation, so. There you go. All
1: right. So uh, to sum it up, the sky is not falling.
0: Exactly. As far as I'm concerned, in fact, I think the sky is wide open and blue.
1: That's our best guess. Um, All right. Let's move into our voicemail. We have one here from Mr. B., and the Skype noise cancellation makes it very difficult when someone talks and leaves spaces between their words. So do do your best to make it out. It's a little tough.
3: Hi, this is Mr. B from Saluda SC. First off, I'd like to say I love your show. It's What a great inspiration it is. Uh, Listened to it on my ride to work, about an hour, hour each way, to and from. Love it. So the inspiration, I you know, want to do a stickly table, one of these little 18-inch, Circle tables. I'm sure you know the one. Uh, my problem is I I made two or three at a time. I want two out of mahogany. One uh, dropped on the floor because of my dog. It cracked. Not on glue line, but another line. It's cracked. Stupid dog. You know, <laughs> And still kind of together with some fibers. So I just glue it back together. My second question is. Uh, my circle cutting jig from a bandsaw uh, cut in a little bit too deep. So imagine an 18 inch circle with a uh, I don't know a little bit of a cut on one side It goes a little bit deeper than than it should have. I realized it and stopped, but I still got a nice blade mark cut. So I was wondering what y'all would do with that. Still a nice circle, but it's uh. Got this cut in it this morning. Which I'll do. Appreciate it. Thanks.
1: Bye. All right. Thanks for that, Mr. B. <clears throat> you know, I actually the noise cancellation wasn't as bad listening back to it. So <laughs> forget I even said that. Okay, his first issue, he's got a crack. It sounds like the fibers are intact. I think we could answer that uh, pretty quickly if it, if it is something that you could just clamp back together and everything just kind of nests in to where it was before. Um, Gob in some glue and and put it in there and squeeze it out with some clamps because that that sounds like the the best case scenario when you have a split is that everything just kind of it may be this weird undulating surface but it typically will match the other side perfectly and if you just get some glue in there squeeze that bad boy together and I think we could probably all agree that that's, that's the best way to go
0: that's what I do all the time and yeah, works <laughs> out fan. Fine. I do that on purpose actually. <laughs>
1: right. Why not? Why not? Cuz you know it'll go back together just fine. So. Yeah. Uh, second part of his question, he sounds like he's doing some sort of a tram alarm or a circle cutting jig at the bandsaw or something and he overcut a little bit and I guess the repair is going to depend on the extent of the damage. I think one thing that immediately jumps out at me is you know, maybe take it in a quarter inch, whatever it takes to remove the flaw and recut the circle, if you can. Make it an ellipse. Ooh, there you go. Ooh, nice. That's an idea. Um, and, and then also, he may consider, I mean, we have to see what the damage looks like, but it may be something where he could just maybe do like a rabbit detail all the way around the perimeter that will just kind of, it'll cover that flaw that he has now uh, that'll look like it's on purpose later. <laughs> Yeah, um, there you go. Might,
2: like inlay something into the rabbit, you mean?
1: Well, possibly, but it's round, so that's going to be a little tricky. Um, but even if you just had a rabbit, kind of like an edge detail on a table that you use to kind of thin it out, give it a little thinner okay. appearance. So maybe sure. put a rabbit and then uh, round it over a little bit or some, some sort of an edge detail that eats up part of the, the part that's messed up. And this is a lot of this is visual, so we would need to see what it looks like. Um, but that's, that's one of the things that comes to mind.
2: Sounded like, though, it was like the the center almost changed, the center of rotation, so it's probably a through cut.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: um, In which case, you know, probably changing the overall shape or, you know, inlay something in there. There (laughs) Turn it it into the stem of an inlaid
1: leaf. Inlay, baby. All right, moving on to our email. We've got one here from Jacob. He says, I recently found online locking miter joint bits, and I'm curious if you guys use them. Uh, if they're strong, on larger projects. I could see the use in smaller projects, especially in replacement of splines. Uh, You know, I don't use locking miter bits, and the primary reason is because they are a to set up. Oh,
0: yes. That's putting it politely.
1: Yeah, so they are good. I mean, they do a fairly good job of creating a nice... Um, joint with a lot of surface area for the glue, so it can be a good joint. But getting the setup perfect is the trick. And I don't even want to bother. I would much rather just do a, a rabbit or a, a spline miter or something something other than that. Yeah. So it's great in. Concept. I
2: remember when I actually bought one of these years and years ago. It actually came with mm-hmm. a, a template. Yep, like in that ultra high molecular weight plastic stuff that had already been cut, and that was like to be able to set your your router table bit. And at the time I had, you know, I didn't have a really good lift or anything, but when I upgraded to one of the, whatever they are, just some easy lifts, master lift, whatever, just from the top and you can do it by 128th of an inch, even then I had trouble getting the thing set up. Yeah, It's not just a matter of of putting that little template in place, unless of course your board is exactly the same thickness. Um, Yeah, there's just so much trouble.
1: It's too tight of a tolerance and, you know, material thickness and... Just any inaccuracy in the surface of your router table is going to create a problem. It's just, frankly, I just don't find it worth it. Now, that said, if you can get it set up, it's a really nice joint.
0: So something to think about. Yeah, I love the idea of it, but uh, uh, I don't even want to think about all that extra work. Totally. Sweet. Hey, I got a question here from Tim, and Tim is asking... I recently picked up a jet air filter for my two-car garage shop, but I I don't know where exactly to put it. My shop ceiling is low, uh, 87 inches, so 7 feet 3 inches for those of you who aren't doing the math at home. The filter is 12 inches tall. I'm 6 foot tall. I remember reading something about not placing it near your dust collection system and that it should be near a wall to promote circulating air in the shop. But that's the extent of my knowledge, right or wrong, on the subject. I've included a planned layout of the shop, which is very close to the way it is now, and a picture of the lighting upgrades I did a year ago. So my questions are, how close to the wall should they go? How far away from the dust collection should they be? Do they have to be hung from the ceiling? Do they have to be hung in the standard orientation, or can they be rotated? Any advice would be appreciated. So do either of you have a, uh, a, a an air filter, a circulating air air filter? Yes, yes, Okay. and it's mounted on the wall. So there's an the answer to one of those questions. There you go. Yeah, that's mine. Is is hung from the shop, and my particular one actually says that it should be no less than seven feet from the floor. But that has more to do with the fact that they don't want you banging your head against right. it. So I think that's probably an issue that Tim potentially could be hitting, getting here since uh, he's right about going to be almost even with. It. In fact, I bet he's about almost eyebrow height with it. Um, one thing that I, I did see with mine is mine almost most recommends that it's it's not up against a wall but near a wall so that as that air is coming out the back end of it, it would actually force like an air circulation around to get the circulation going through the actual room itself. So I actually – I have mine towards uh, like about in the middle of where I have all my power tools so that it will collect most of that dust. One recommendation I did see was to keep it away from uh, heating and air conditioning ducts uh, that definitely, I guess, could probably have a, a, an issue going on with it. I'm not quite sure uh, really what's going on there. I guess probably could mess it up more than anything else. Maybe the actual circulation throughout the house or something. Or, act. well, the more I think about it, you don't want the dust that you're potentially sucking into it, getting sucked into those, too. Um, but I don't sure. know so much about keeping it away from the dust collector. I mean, if the dust collector is working properly, that almost seems like an, an, a non-issue Uh at least my particular little roll around one, I, I don't really have to oh. deal that much. I don't, I don't see where that would be an issue with it. In fact, they're almost near each other, but not. They're not next to each other. They're not like bosom buddies. Hmm. So I don't know if there's like a.
2: No, I was just gonna say if there's like an air pressure deal, but shouldn't be. Yeah, so <laughs> shouldn't be so, your your dust collector is not sucking air. Well, it is it is expelling air, right? I mean, it has to in order to do its job. Right. So the idea behind having a one micron bag or whatever up top is that it's allowing air out, but nothing you know larger or than one micron. So maybe it's just that it's pushing out a bunch of air, and that can throw off the flow of like the vortex you create I mean, with the air filter.
1: Point. Yeah, okay. yeah, I, I like that, see that. That's crazy talk. That? That's just yeah. crazy talk.
0: <laughs> All right, so uh, but the other thing though, like you mentioned, Shannon, yours is is mounted on the wall, so right, you're my, to just my shop up. ceiling is is it, it changes from front to
2: back because the the garage floor is sloped, but it's about seven feet in one spot and it's eight feet in the other, and I'm six foot four, so no matter where I hung it, I'm banging my head on the thing. So nice. uh, I actually in my instructions, I have a jet airfield, the same one he has. In instructions, there's actually a diagram that shows like mounting it on the skinny side, on its side, rather than mm-hmm. on the wider surface. And it comes with little angle clips that you can mount wherever. So I just stuck it on the wall. Works great. Yep. It's and definitely it seems- to the side of the shop.
0: Well, mine, mine could do the same exact thing. And that was another recommendation with my particular one was that you could set it uh, on the wall like that. And if I remember right, this one, I threw them away because I wasn't going to do it. I, I ended up hanging it from my ceiling, but they actually came with like little rubber feet. So you could potentially set it on the floor which seems a little odd because obviously you want it up where it's going to be collecting that fine particle dust. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it did say something about being able to set it on a bench or even on the floor in a particular area. So okay. you do set have options for where you want right to put behind it.
2: behind you when you stand at the table saw. There you go. There you go.
0: <laughs> Catch it as that laser of sawdust comes shooting out. <laughs> nice. So hopefully that helps you out there, Tim.
2: All right. Let's see. Sean wrote in and he says, I have a few questions about dividers. Do you have any good sources for inexpensive quality dividers? I see the Stewart versions but they seem like overkill for me. If you disagree, please explain. I have two pair from Veritas but I find them to be quite blunt. Do you think you should sharpen them to a fine point? If so, how? Is there an advantage to how blunt they are? It's a lot of questions about dividers, Sean.
0: It's a rather um, blunt question.
2: Without, uh, Ooh. <laughs> um, sh- Do I have a source for quality and expensive dividers? It's called eBay. That's where I've gotten all my dividers. Well, that's not true. I have one made by Graz, I think. Um, I bought it for wood turning. It came with like a kit, calipers, and dividers, and all that. I believe it's made by Graz. <clears throat> um, the other, I don't know, two pairs I think I have, I bought from eBay, old, you know, vintage ones, um, because. I think you're right. You know, do you need super high precision in your dividers? Yes. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I think probably the distant the difference relates to the second question. Should you sharpen them to a fine point? I, I agree. I think what needs to happen is they need to meet on the inside face. So when you tighten it up so they're all the way closed, they should come together to a very fine point. And I think in cheaper dividers, that's not necessarily going to happen. And in a lot of vintage ones, what you find is they've been sharpened, but instead of just being sharpened on the outside, they're sharpened 360 degrees, so you get this tapered point to them. So no matter what you do, they will never come together and meet at the point. So to sharpen them, basically you need to grind down the inside face so that it meets. You've got two flat faces that meet, and then put the bevel on the outside, Um, I don't think they have to be super razor sharp, but I think if they're sharp, you'll find that you can actually scribe. Um, Say you're laying in a circle or something like that, you can actually use them as a scribe rather than just a way to measure stuff out
1: we were watching uh, for the review show two two things that, that go into this category. One, we were watching 17th century car- New England carving with uh, yeah, Peter Follensby. Yeah,
2: That's exactly what I was thinking of.
1: Yeah, and he absolutely depends on that thing being nice and sharp um, to, to be able to scribe those concentric circles and arcs. Um, and we also talked about forging your own compass. So if you happen to have a forge handy... <laughs> uh, or a smoker. Or a smoker... <laughs> Uh, Peter Ross will show you how to make your own compass in, in right. this DVD, which is pretty cool.
0: And uh, we also saw uh, George Walker using them to to lay out ones. Now, I think those ones weren't quite as sharp. Mm-hmm. They, they seemed a little blunt, but he did a pretty darn good job with those. There you go. My uh, resource for getting some would be visiting Shannon.
2: <laughs> there you go. I remember it, one of the woodworkings in America, woodworkings in America, one of those things, Peter Fallsby actually said that if you come into his shop with a pencil, he'll throw you out. So there you go.
1: I would definitely bring a pencil then. I only have a pen. A pencil and uh, one of those Incra things where you put the little five millimeter lead pencil into the hole. <laughs> nice. I think he, uh, That sounds like something he would like. Uh, okay, so we have a question from Ernesto in El Paso. They have good salsa there from what I hear.
0: Mmm, salsa.
1: I just got my first commission today. Word is slowly spreading about being a woodworker, but I feel that this one is more of a challenge than I anticipated. A friend of mine asked if I could repair her bathroom cabinet doors since they were falling apart. Upon arrival, I find particle board. I told her that it can't be repaired other than to trim the damaged area, making the doors smaller. She then asked if I could make a whole new cabinet. After hearing the average price of plywood, even the Home Depot grade, she said No. She asked me to build it out of an OSB sheet that she had sitting in the garage. Her reasoning is that, taking, is that it's taking up space and she doesn't want to spend more money on more plywood. I guess she thinks the OSB stuff, she's calling it plywood. <laughs> uh, I told her that it is not suited for the job but she insisted. Now I find myself thinking about sanding it, uh, joints that I can use, excuse me, finish to use before painting and any decoration that I could put on it uh, while it's only OSB. Do you guys have any pointers? By the way, it's half-inch stock, Ernesto. Oh my God. This is very frustrating. (laughs) Um, That's one of those things, like it's one thing to do somebody a favor, but at a certain point, if you can't stand behind what you're making, then you have no business making it. And if the material, especially half-inch stock, um, it's not like you can't make a plywood out of OSB if you had to. You certainly can do that and just really just using standard cabinetry, um, you know, dados, rabbits, and grooves and reinforce it with screws, you could probably get a decent thing in place. The problem is this is half inch stock, it's OSB, it's been sitting there, clearly, for a long time. This is not optimal material. So as a, you know, granted, you want to take on jobs because you want to get more jobs, but to be perfectly blunt, that's not the kind of customer you want. Right. Even if you do that job successfully, you know, yeah, maybe that could lead to someone else with a, a better job in the future. Um, but that also may lead to more people like that person who who want who who can't even fathom paying um, even the cost of forty dollars
2: for a piece of Home Depot plywood. That's yeah. what we're talking about here. Well, if right. he's
1: if he's a friend or if she's a friend and he's doing this probably at a very low price in terms of his labor, you're right. This is probably going to be less than a hundred dollar job. Um, and she's not willing to pay it. That's again. I don't want to be too harsh about her because who knows what her financial situation is. But there are times when you go to a custom woodworker and times when you don't. So this sounds like she's far better off getting a pre-made cabinet in place in her bathroom, something off the shelf at Home Depot, that's made out of particle board and crappy veneer, and that's that's what she's willing to pay for. Um, yes. This to me sounds like I would I would. I would head for Z Hills on this one.
0: <laughs> I would be right behind you.
2: <laughs>
1: Absolutely. So, yeah. So I mean, if, if I don't know, again, if you have, if you're stuck now and you feel like you're obligated to do this, you could do it, but definitely explain to her the negatives and what could happen and why you would not build with this material. But you'll do it with that caveat, and you don't right. want to to sort of paint yourself into a corner on this one. Just make sure she's fully aware. And then if you feel like doing what a, what it really amounts to, sort of like a charity job, then then you can do it.
2: Yep. You know, you might – I'm thinking, you know, he says this is a piece of OSB sheet that she had in the garage. So I can just see it like leaning up against the wall. It's got that nice deep curve mm-hmm. in it from leaning against nice the wall all these years. <laughs> you, you might actually sit down and figure out what would I have to do to make this into a cabinet and then charge her that hourly rate. You know, right. it's going to cost more, a lot more because of the extra stuff you're going to have to do to make this work. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it might just be a good—I don't know—I hate to say a good lesson because that's a good way to end a friendship. <laughs> but you know, just just to put it in perspective and say, okay, I'm going to use this, so the mat- the the material cost goes to zero, but it's going to take me you know six hours more to make this because I'm going to have to go through all these extra steps. Um, it might just be interesting, and so that you at least have something to respond to her with.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, and if it's one of those things that you want to do it, so that potentially you could even generate more business from it, like you know, oh, well, look what he did—he made this, you know, this Sal's ear into a, a silk purse. You're still, unfortunately, and I know this experience from from my wife's business. You're just going to keep attracting more individ- more customers that will be very like-minded. That's like, well, you did that for this, so I know you can, again, yeah. repeat yeah. it on such and such. Dorothy so, said
2: you built it out of the crap in her garage. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. I've got some stuff out my yard that's been sitting there for years. I, you, you could make it out of that. So un- un- I'm totally, unfortunately, as much as I have the weakest heart to want to help people and do things, even though I hate doing it, I, I have to say run away. <laughs>
2: I don't know about you guys, but this sounds like a reality show. It's like that, that cooking show Chopped, where they open a basket and it's full of like sea anemone and grape jelly. You know, make a five course meal out of that. This is the same type of thing. You know, open the garage door now. Build a cabinet out of what's in there. That sounds <laughs> like
1: a that actually does sound like a nice premise for a show. Actually, doesn't it though? You should pitch that.
2: It's like it's like Storage Wars and, and Chopped.
1: You get, yeah, you get like a, you got a bucket of nails. You got yeah. a small like little baby sized hammer. <laughs> and maybe, I don't know, like a handsaw and one chisel. and uh, and, 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 it and a piece of erotic
2: music when you do the reveal, when you open the garage door to see what you have to work with. Yeah. And wah, wah,
1: wah. You're like, what the <laughs> heck am I going to do with this crap? All right. this is,
2: uh, I would totally watch
0: that show.
1: That's awesome. Sounds good to me.
2: Let's only pitch if it's it. on
0: Hulu for the Vanderlust. Oh, so. that's right.
1: Mr. Cord All Cutter.
0: There you go. All right. Hey, so this next question comes in from Milo and he's saying, I recently got my hands on two fresh cut live edge oak slabs. They are around 30 to 36 inches in diameter, three to four inches thick with a very nice edge to them. Do you have any idea how I should properly prepare these to turn them into, say, small tables? He's Shannon. Any ideas? I don't have access to a kiln. Unfortunately, they are already starting to show small cracks in them. Is there a way to stabilize the slabs to stop or reduce any cracking? and at the same time decrease the water ca- content so I can actually use them. So my first thing is uh, anytime that you have you know, uh, wood that's just been cut or any that you wanted to bring it down to a certain uh, moisture content that it's, it's way too wet right now, the first thing you need to do is to seal the ends of the wood. So you're talking about using some sort of painting on a sealer, say like the most common one that I think everybody thinks of is anchor seal. Mm-hmm. You want to oh. get that on there because – Again, we're going to go to the old analogy. Wood is like a, a whole glob of of straws put together, and you want to seal up those ends so that the moisture will then evaporate at a slower rate. So that's my first thing is you really, really need to get those sealed up. And then that's when you start going to the old uh, standard of, uh, let's see, 1 year for every 1 inch of material. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of stuck I don't want to say you're stuck there but that's where you're kind of going with. Now I don't know if since these are 30 to 30 to 30 to 36 inches in diameter. So we're definitely talking it sounds like these came right off of in fact, I know uh, Milo sent a picture of this. It almost looks like it was a tree trunk, and then they just went straight across. So we're actually looking at a cross section of the of the tree rather than a longitudinal section. Can you right. believe I knew those words? <laughs> Attaboy. <laughs> wow. boy. So, you spell them? No, let's not go that Let's not get that <laughs> crazy. <laughs> but so my whole thing is obviously these are going to have bark on them. Is, is that bark going to affect it? I mean, is that gonna to help to slow down some of the, the moisture well, being lost the, from it? I don't think it would.
1: It's on the sides. I mean most right. of your moisture loss is at your ends with the end grain which are sealing up. Yes, out. exactly. But if they
2: we're just felled. The sap is rising. It is springtime, people. So that's a major, major rot spot. Mm. Um it's also a place to invite um post beetles, powder mm. post beetles. Um so the the, the key is in the spring, when the sap is rising, spring and summer, when the tree is actually growing, sap is rising. That's Bugs love that. Sweet, sticky sap. They love it. They will eat it up. So you probably, if in fact the tree was felled while the sap was rising, um, you got to get rid of that sap water. It's going to rot. Um, <clears throat> if it's felled in the winter, which is why a lot of these folks like, you know, Roy Underhill type folks that go out in the forest and cut down their own tree, they'll cut it. In the, um, in the winter. We, we actually talked about this and I took that Windsor class at the Woodwright School um, because the log that we had was actually felled in the spring and you could already see the um, powder post beetles popping in and out. And it's an oak tree which powder post beetles love. Nice. But they don't really dig heart heartwood that much. So that may be something to think about. You know, you're going to reduce your width, but that sapwood is a rot hazard. You got to be careful with that stuff. No,
0: with, with with the cracks that are already showing on here, I imagine there's not really too much you can do with it at that point until it gets down to the moisture content that you're going to want for working with these. But again, perhaps putting on something like the anchor seal will help to decrease those yeah. cracks. You know, increase because usually the crack is because it's drying so fast, and that's any fault that's already there is going to be multiplied. Right.
2: Well, and I think if he's got enough space that he can cut those cracks away later mm-hmm. or embrace them and, you know, spline them or something like that, um, that that's fine. A, a piece that big and that thick, it's going to develop cracks, right. um, which is the other thing. He says he doesn't ac- have access to a kiln. Kiln drying material that's 12 quarter and 16 quarter thick is very, very difficult to do. There are not many companies that will do it because it's, it's just so thick. There's so much material in there, it's very difficult not to case harden it. And you end up having to dry it so slowly in the kiln that you might just be better off air drying it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not talking years here. I mean, you can kiln dry 16-quarter material in less time than that, but you're still putting it in the kiln for six months. And you're warming it and cooling it over the period of probably two to three weeks so I mean you're in you're in there for seven maybe even eight months on on that thickness of material and nine times out of ten you end up with a lot of reaction wood because the you're just trying to move so much moisture out of there. There's just no way to do it. So your best bet is to seal it as best you can, put it under cover so there's not direct sunlight baking on it. Mm-hmm. And next time you vote for president, go revisit it. <laughs> there you go.
0: Or one other other alternative I'm just going to throw out there, Carbonite. If it worked for Han Solo, it will probably work for these Live Edge Oak Slabs, I'm thinking. Nice. That would be awesome. The online backup be.
1: service? <laughs>
0: Get like a little ugnot running around <laughs> helping you out with that. It'll float around for you wherever you want to go. That'd nice. be awesome. There you go. A little what? Did you just? Ug- <laughs> ugnot The little piggy thingy? Is
2: <laughs> that what those are called?
0: Uh, that's what it was on my toy chest. <laughs> I did not
2: know that. That's
0: awesome. Uh, I'm lost.
1: All right, Shannon, you're up.
0: You can leave your comment in the show notes for us. (laughs) Uh,
2: Where are we? Oh, this is from Dan. Uh, Dan says, in episode 130, you mentioned offhandedly that you could cut up a log into a board, then sticker and weigh down or band to let it air dry. I have heard a lot about making sure that you weigh down your stack while it was air drying to help avoid warp and twist. Can I get the same effect by putting a two by four across the bottom and top of my pile and then ratchet strap? the ratchet than a ratchet strap that i cranked the heck out of um dan this is exactly what we do with the lumber yard <laughs> um when when we have kiln dried material we've graded it and it goes back out in the sheds to to sit to wait to find a home you know like the little puppy at the pound mm-hmm. He's just waiting for someone so to come cute. buy him um oh, look at that's exactly thingy. what we do um it, it's one of those things where you know, if the wood is not properly dried and you try to do that, you know, it's liable to kind of spring apart when you take the, the ratchet off. But if you if you kind of lock it down while it's drying, um, think, of, uh, think of like steam bending. Um, you heat the wood up, you put it in a form, you clamp it in place, and you let it dry. And it stays in that curved shape. Ideally, the same thing happens if you lock it down flat. So yeah, um, that's actually a better way than weighing it down. Um, because you can put a lot more pressure into that. Just make sure you protect the corners of the wood. Um, You know, If you're going to use two-by-fours, make sure the two-by-fours are longer than the width of your pack so that you don't get those bands digging into the sides of your boards and cracking and tearing up your boards. There you go. Sweet. Oh, and step away when you finally cut those bands.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's always fun. (laughs) Definitely give them some some room there and get someone else to do it.
2: Wear your safety glasses.
1: All right. So, iTunes reviews. We only have one this week from one two three four five six seven eight nine zero one two three four five six seven eight nine zero one two three four five six seven eight. Who says love the show? The show was introduced to me uh, to the woodworking online community and constantly keeps me laughing, motivated, and learning. So, thank you. One two three four. I'm not going to do that again. Is that <laughs> the, that's a song from the Electric Company, wasn't it? One, I think two, three, so. Four, that's
2: five six seven eight nine ten. <laughs> 11, 12. 12. 12. Yeah, yeah, I think so. See, so you had to say it.
1: There you go. Um, <laughs> so if you want to leave us an iTunes review like that person did, you could just go into iTunes in the store, look us up, Wood talk, and click on ratings and reviews and you could leave us a nice five-star review, rating, whatever you could do. Actually, you could do the ratings without typing a review. So that's something to keep in mind too.
0: Oh, cool. All options. Right. I love options.
1: Love to give them options. Uh let's see. We don't have any donors to thank this week, but if you'd like to sign up for a recurring donation or even a one time donation, you could do that at woodtalkshow.com. Over in the left hand column, you'll see a couple of links there. Uh, for two five and ten dollar donations, and that helps us keep the lights on and keeps Matt in those sexy, stretchy <laughs> pants that he likes to wear. And, and, when when we, have Doug, and when we have Donut Day. Donut day we have shows like
0: this. They'll, they'll help to keep um, marks and throat lozengers.
1: You know what's great though? When you guys talk at exactly the same time.
0: What are you talking about?
1: <laughs> you edit <added> this <us> out. <laughs> I, I love when that happens. Um, a quick reminder that today's show is sponsored by Festool. You could find out about them at festoolusa.com as well as SawStop at sawstop.com and I think that's about it. So Matt, if you want to give them the contact info, we will get out of here.
0: All right. Well, hey, folks, if you have a comment, a question, or a topic suggestion, you have several different ways to contact us because we like to give you options also. Leave a voicemail on Skype. Our username is WoodTalkOnline. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at WoodTalkOnline at gmail.com or leave us a comment on our WoodTalk Facebook page. And hey, if you're ever looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at WoodTalkShow.com. Woo, that's a lot of information. That's a mouthful i got to quit trying to do that in one breath.
1: <laughs> That's good. It's good <laughs> practice for you. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will catch you next week. See Bye. you. This podcast is part of the
2: Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit
3: frogpants.com. Audio program so good, it's like you're there.